1: Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, back for a second episode of this week and this is, a, well, these are going to become a thing in this little strange, weird little period we're in right now. We're going to celebrate rugby, we're going to use use the time we might have uh, to Look at some of the greatest games of all time. Get you to watch it. Give us your thoughts. We can reminisce. We can get nostalgic. We can compare Hello the rugby personally. now to rugby Hello then. Hello, Tim. And all Hello sorts to of you uh, other, other things. Hello, Tim. As a result. And this week's game, we ask you to watch. And thank you for doing so. Or if you didn't, you could hit pause now. Go and watch it on YouTube. You'll find the link on our Twitter account, Rugby Podcast, on Twitter. Uh, and uh, it's New Zealand versus France, the 1999 Rugby World Cup semi-final at Twickenham. How much did you enjoy watching this?
2: My favorite game of all time. What of a game! All
3: time. What what a game! Um, the so I, I think we're going to go into the positives and the negatives, but focusing on the positives.
2: Yeah, let's the, go with the positives because there's so many negatives which I've discovered about this game. It's kind of like never meet your hero kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> but the the positives. <laughs> I mean, the
3: the tries. Some of the tries. Um, the French back three going forward. Incredible absolutely incredible. Dominici was just sensational. Um the, the um Jona Lomu as well and Jonah Lomu and Wilson and Cullen when New Zealand could bring them into the game were just unreal. But New Zealand couldn't bring them into the game very frequently. Um but yeah, the, the attacking um positivity and dynamism of those teams were incredible. The, yeah. the defensive structure and some of the breakdown work and some of the refereeing, a few things maybe to be questioned on some of those. So
2: when I watched this game, I would have been playing fifth form rugby, okay? So that weird sort of stage in school where you could qualify for the senior team, the, the, the sixth form rugby, but you're in fifth form. So you don't really know what's going on. Uh, and actually, when I watched this game back, I seem to remember, well, I seem to rem, um, remember most of it. And I was thinking to myself, as far as I'm concerned, throughout my whole rugby playing life, rugby has always looked like this. What we were watching looked sort of like rugby. But if you go back even, what, like five years maybe, it Please. looks nothing like it. And I wonder when that tipping point was.
3: Professionalism. So t- 1994, 95 there's a big difference, partly because of line-outs. Yeah, the line-ups are the big one. Or, or, the lineup
2: uh, are they?
1: Although still, but- the even though they had lifting um by this point, which they hadn't had in the early nineties, um, like you say, it changed in the mid-90s, the lifting was still bloody dreadful. Yeah, yeah but yeah. do you remember
2: what do, but were you watching? And I'm not saying you're wrong, Tim. I'm just saying we do you know what the in what the rules were between full lifting and then uh they're not lifting, so there's like an interim period, wasn't there? So, the reason I didn't know about this is because I used to play in the back, so I, I, used, to be, I used to be a winger until I was 24. Um, so I never really paid attention, but you might have been watching a game where <laughs> you were allowed to jump, you weren't allowed to lift, but you weren't allowed to support whatever yep. the hell that means. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
1: so there was no pre binding allowed. Well,
2: what were the rules? I, I don't know. I, I, I never played under those laws.
1: Well, so I think about this, sort of this point, by, by 99, people were lifting, but it was kind of mainly on the shorts. I mean, there, oh. was, that, there was that period when it first came in, when people were doing, they were, they were doing lifting, like, um, like a, what's, the, what's the exercise where you get a bar and you lift it up under your chin with your elbows up high?
3: Oh, oh yeah, I like right, rose upright row, up right row
1: it was like people were lifting on the back of a pair of shorts like it was an upright row <laughs> it,
2: was all, it was so awful. are the techniques you see they just they make you want to cry
3: I mean God well in this game if, the line outs the the accuracy rate of the line out was awful and that's, that's I, to your point Tim that it's while they have been lifting for a few years they've not
2: got it down to a fine art at this stage even airs right uh, and actually, we'll save this for the negatives. But like, <laughs> How anyone let him play international rugby throw like that was beyond me.
1: <laughs> the one-arm <laughs> throw, that was how it used to be done. It's just been, But,
2: I mean, they they were full-time professionals. Someone must have had a look at that and go, hang on a minute, wait there. There's, there's there's something else that we can do here. I mean, maybe I'm looking at it with the benefit of hindsight. I must be, mustn't I? But there's,
1: like, just, you can't get away with that. Well, you, you know, you just mentioned Ibanez and that was the first thing that struck me when the team sheets came up. The, the, the amount of leadership and, and <coughs> only looking back with hindsight, look at the number of people that have gone all the way up in French rugby, in clubs and in, in well, the national team. Fabien Galtier was the scrum half. Raphael Ibanez, the hooker. Well, well,
2: well I don't know if you count it as a success, but Mark Lieverman.
1: Mark Lieverman yeah. was the, was the, was the blindside. Ugo Mola was a replacement. He came on on the wing. Uh, the Toulouse, yeah, boss Fabian What's Pelouse, Fabian? Abdel Benazi. There was all these names. It was, yeah. amazing, there was so many great names. So
2: Wasn't Fabian Pelouse at Toulouse for a little? I mean, not player as a coach for for a while.
1: May well have been. I don't remember.
2: Is he not? He might be there now. I really don't know. I have to check.
1: But it was it was an amazing little crop of. Uh, do you ever players. think?
2: Do you ever think of Fabian Palou as the French Martin Johnson?
1: Yeah, I do yeah. a little bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I 100% see that. I like the violence, the aggression. Maybe more, vi- maybe more violence actually, and
3: similar periods as well. Yeah, he's probably played a bit longer than he's probably a few
2: years younger, isn't he? Than Johnson, I don't know, but they're always opposing captains. He was my out and out favourite player growing up. Out and out favourite, loved also, him.
1: Also, when I was looking at the team sheets, I noticed that the. I'm wondering when did the replacement numbers get standardised because I didn't, re- I didn't clock until they started coming on the second half. The, the replacement numbers were like 16 was, was like the back three back. replacement and yeah. 21 was the tight head props. So, <laughs> I hate when to admit that, this. When did that flip around?
2: Well, Don't I have No idea. I hate to admit this because um, I should, you know, being a rugby podcast, I should, I should know it. I have no idea what number replacements were. <laughs>
1: what, even it's now? So, even it's now? so
2: simple. Yeah, it's... I just, I've just i never paid any attention to it. <laughs> I know Mike Phillips used to wear 21,
1: maybe? Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the standardised Scrum Half replacement shirt.
2: Yeah, so that's the only reason the only reason I know Scrum Halfs wear 21 is because I've got Mike Phillips burned in my mind wearing a red 21. But only since 2012. Because before that,
3: they would have been number 20. Because before 2012... You only had
2: one prop on the bench. Yeah, but some teams, if I got this right, don't they have the tight the replacement tight head as the highest number? So some French teams do that. Toulon do that. Yeah, I only I literally I only, I only know that because you told me once.
1: Yeah, from when they brought in the extra the third from yeah. the replacement.
2: I quite like that.
3: Yeah, I, I, I can see although it does it it perfectly makes sense because um it currently. It, most teams have 16 seventeen 18 with 16 being your hooker replacement, 17 being your loose head and 18 being your tight head, and then 19 would be oh, your the hook,
2: the hook is the first replacement yeah
1: yeah that's, that's, that's nuts it should be it should really be loose head 16 hooker 17 tight no, head: 18. Absolutely,
2: it sure. should that is ridiculous
3: that's
1: Sorry, some, that is that is tradition. Well, tra- um, not, not, not for that long, though. It's tradition, but I, I don't know when it changed because, back, as I say, back here, 16 was the... Yeah. ...was, was uh, Daryl Gibson for New Zealand and Ugo Moller for France. And, and both their tight-head props were wearing 21.
2: So Daryl Gibson... Oh, so I'm thinking of Johnny Gibbs. Daryl Gibson is coaching somewhere, though, isn't he? Uh, Daryl Gibson coached the Waratahs and then he came to France... I don't know where he is now. He definitely coached the Waratahs. One million percent. So
1: um, I'll take your word for it. I'm, I have no idea.
2: So that's another name for your uh, pantheon of, well, people that made it <laughs> to the top. Coached coach Waratahs until 2019.
3: Uh, that's about all I've got from him.
2: Is he not in France somewhere? I'm sure sure he's an my... coach for someone.
3: Not, not from his. So he walked away from the Waratahs in June 2019 nothing after that from a very very quick search
2: yeah
1: if we if, did, we talk, if we, oh sorry go on jay i was gonna say did you notice that uh, they had one uh, hold
2: on uh, no i'm gonna make <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna embarrass myself here zinzan brook did not play eight in in this game did he
1: <laughs> no but he did play did he <laughs> yes he was, Which he was, He's in the
3: second row, wasn't he? I, I,
1: yes! Well, I thought Robin. so. No, that was Robin Brooke, wasn't it?
3: I think it's Zim was Zim it was Was it Robin? Was it the other one? I so, think it was zinzan So I'm looking at... So, right. So I'm looking at the team sheet here uh, from a BBC article from... Uh, well, that, from, that, from that's no
2: guarantee it's right.
3: Well, <laughs> so...
1: It, you made me this, doubt myself
3: even more now. This does list Zimzan Brook in the second row. I can't believe it, I
1: thought it was Robin Brook.
3: But, no, no, it might be Robin Brook, because it also lists Jason Kellella playing Scrum Half. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a rugby player called Jason Kellella.
2: <laughs> the worst part is now, I've actually forgot Kelela's first name, Do because... Byron. Byron, Byron thank you. Byron. <laughs> Byron Ke- Yeah,
3: you're right.
1: If we're, talking, if we're talking positives for a second... JB will probably see this as a negative, but so many of the comments we've got, uh, David Paul, it was the first thing he mentioned. Uh, Damien St- uh, Stewart, first thing he mentioned. Walter Ludwig III, by the way. <clears throat> we have some fine listeners. Don't we just? Mm. Walter Ludwig III, hello. He is a, a professor. He's an author. And he works in South, South Asian security and insurgency and US foreign policy. He's a listener nice yeah i think i followed him back we have some fine people uh, ben smart another fine person but everybody's mentioning the speed at which the scrums and lineouts happen particularly the scrums
2: yeah. yeah
3: with zero
1: resets even though they're kind of they look a bit shambolic the way they very quickly come together no no reset scrums the whole
2: set piece, right and we're going to get in, in fact let's just get into this now <laughs> The, the set piece really reflects the whole of the game, which is it is so threadbare on quality. I know that sounds awful, but it really is. I mean, you seem to get players which are just good at, at, at like a handful of things. I'm, just, I'm thinking now what a modern. I'm thinking what your brother would think of these lineouts and scrums. That's what I'm thinking. He, he, he'd be disgusted.
3: <laughs> but they, uh, as a spectacle, if you're not, if you're looking at it for a restart of play they're great because they're it, not great they're not very, great
2: very quickly gives you a restart um, and some attacking ball i'm sorry i'm sorry the lineouts in particular i mean the lineouts don't give you any attacking ball it's complete lottery yeah.
3: the, li- I mean, the line the lineouts were a lottery they're and scrum- the line scrum- scrum- right,
2: a modern lineout now is a mixture of weightlifting and synchronized swimming, it is one of the finest things that humans can put together. So the lineouts are definitely not better than the current modern yeah. lineouts. I'd 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 agree with that. Lineouts are worse.
1: Scrums I'd agree with that
2: better. They're not better, they're not better. A well
1: executed scrum
2: now. I mean, yes, you can get bad ones where, you, you know, as we've all pointed out, it takes them two minutes to set up and they're cleaning their boots and whatnot. And yeah, not great at all.
1: It does highlight but when it, it no, works, it, 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 it works really wonderfully. Does. No, yeah, I get it, but it, it has highlight- watching this game from 1999. <sighs> if that does not, I mean, everyone was saying it already the scrum resets are taking too long. This is this is ridiculous but it's it 's just magnified and hugely when you go back and watch ninety nine and uh, I th- we have sacrificed entertainment on, on this on the altar of safety and it 's gone to yeah long. and it
2: is a safety thing, and the weird thing about the safety issue is it 's made it less safe because if I mean, you, know, you think about the obvious thing, which is how do we make scrums stay up because we're causing too many injuries? Well, obviously, we make sure the players can clean their boots. Okay, so you let, you, you let them clean their boots so they can get their purchase. That sounds logical. But then before you know it, you can have bigger guys so it needs to be as fit. You can get a little rest in. You know, they can all get good purchase now so they become more
1: powerful. The, the front row get comfy and then the second yeah. rows go down. And only when the second rows are comfy as well, then the back rows go down. Yeah.
2: I mean, the amount of power that you can generate in a scrum now is frighteningly large compared to what you could, could do but then. Do you not
1: think part of it is the the, the, the the amount of breaks they have means that rugby can have bigger and bigger guys because they don't need the aerobic capacity because they get a. I don't know.
2: They work so hard. I think that that has been mitigated somewhat. I will say this though: you know, if you've made your crust as a Premiership forward, particularly a tight five in recent years, and now you're in the administration of the game, and what you've done throughout your whole career is sort of modern scrummaging, where you take a lot of pride in how you set up and how you do this, that, and the other. It's very hard for you to rewrite the rules to take away the thing that you did well. Yeah. you know, I, you're, I, you're, you're, These institutions are sort of built. I, I do think there is a
3: move towards speeding up the game and speeding up ball in playtime. And every year, the ball in playtime is increasing. So that, that, there's an objective of that. And that will have the like secondary intended um, consequence of if you've got more ball in playtime and the game is faster, you're going to have to have players being a bit fitter and being a bit leaner, which... And taking their times to scrum, Well, or taking their times to scrum, which is... So that bit is like, it contradicts speeding up the game. Because th- why speed up the game if you can then just slow it down for two minutes so all the props can get their breath back.
1: I think James also- Sale J- put it quite well. He tweeted us at Rugby Podcast and he said, um, oh sorry, he emailed us, I beg your pardon. Uh, and he said, um, the scrums were mostly a way to restart the game. And I think that's what's Yeah. T- is it's, it's now, teams are targeting it as a penalty opportunity penalty. a way to restart the game. Yeah,
2: absolutely they are. That, and I don't right. mind that though. I don't mind that. I, I, like the, I like the combative nature of it. I like the psychology of making them give up a penalty. Love it. <clears> so,
1: it?
3: Scrums may be better. Line-outs, lineouts are definitely worse.
1: Oh, lineouts so. were shambolic. But it was almost so bad, it was good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what about back moves? Um, uh, to... It, I think the backs moves when they used them were were pretty good at times. Um, I mean, they off, they, kicked, they kicked a lot more and they kicked seemingly aimlessly, but the back three seemed to be so disjointed on both teams that the the oh, aimless yeah. kicks were turned into very grass good a lot, kicks. Yeah, co- yeah. yeah. Which which I'm sure is more because the back three were totally out of position than it was a really intelligent,
2: thought through kick. People are. I'm certain of it. Yes, you're absolutely right, Phil. So people are not going to like this next comment. Jonah Lomu did not impress me (laughs) at all. (laughs) At all. (laughs) His two, um, tri- his two
3: tries were unbelievable.
1: Oh, his, his tries were ridiculous. Imagine, ridiculous. imagine Jonah Lomu in fantasy rugby draft. Defenders beaten.
2: Yeah, <laughs> imagine breaks.
1: Fantasy, it's ridiculous.
2: Imagine fantasy rugby draft had a section. Um, out of position horribly, uh, minus six points every time.
0: <laughs> and, like,
2: he just doesn't care about dropping back into position. He just didn't care. And the main's almost looking up at Will, and going, right, I think I'll put the ball there, I'll put the ball there. Every time it was hitting grass. And I was like, it's it's actually jarring because I watch so much modern rugby. You never see that. You assume there's going to be yeah, four yeah. back or three back or two back or...
1: What, but what, doing... what Joe Lomu did was incredible because, again, because we... Recognise and we spot the defenders beaten stats and stuff for a game um, because that's a statistic. Bearing in mind, ju- just in the, in the cause of scoring two tries, let alone the other seventy nine minutes, Jonah Lomu beat thirteen defenders in those <laughs> yeah. just in those two tries two alone. Tries.
2: <laughs> Most of it, right, was psychological warfare. I mean, the French could not get out of his way quick enough. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you you've really got to put
3: defenders in air quotes for (laughs) some of of
2: those. (laughs) Because there was a few people who did not want to be involved in in that at all. Yeah, like even smaller modern players would not have got caught like the French did. I I think Cheslin Colby does a good job of shepherding uh, Joan Lomio into touch. I I really, I really do. And another thing which I found fascinating was how much kicking there was. Yeah. But
3: it, it was successful because the teams were so badly set up defensively yeah, well
2: I, yeah, this leads me to my next point right, which is there was not kicking because they just kicked back in the olden days, uh, although maybe they did when you watch some of the, some of the England games, and that seems to be England seemed to kick for the sake of kicking uh, now, France seems to do it quite intelligently, but the thought I the thought that I had, and I discussed this with, uh, with phil is if there was a man or two men of Owen Farrell and George Ford's capabilities, not their physical prowess, let's just say they were in exactly the same bodies as the, uh, you know, as, as the guys on TV that we watched from the 99 semis. Yeah. They would have made mincemeat out of that, uh, new, uh, New Zealand back, back, uh, back three. Just the quality the of skills and kicking is just off the chart. If anything, France didn't kick enough. Uh, yeah. I, I tend to agree, that, and they, they didn't
3: kick particularly intelligently, but it, they were successful because New Zealand was so poorly poor, um, positionally.
2: Yeah. Rooks as well. The amount of manpower, I mean, resor- resourcing the Rook is a big deal in 1999. Well, so, if the Rooks, so I thought
3: there was really some really interesting observations in terms of the referee and decisions, and how they um, treated offences differently to, to how we do today. So yeah, in the first 10 minutes, there were four or five offsides that were penalised, like that were all very marginal offsides, but referee penalised them and blew, blew up penalty kick at sticks that massively slowed the game down. There was also, at the, at the Rooks, when, when a defender got his hands on the ball, the ref would blow after half a second. The ref would give... It's half a second. It was so fast, and that meant that the attackers coming to clean out were flying in left, right, and centre. No one divided. People going on the off their feet. They're flying in from all angles, and the refs letting all that go. It's so different to how it's refereed now. It's, it's like a totally different sport. And, the,
1: and those French boys, Benazie, Pelouse, and Leo Evremont, oh my, they were a mania, were just flying in.
2: Ruck hitters. Yes. They love to hit rucks. Yeah, massively. No, so, man, the, so there's a few interesting things there. One, there didn't seem to be much thought into how many people they should put into rucks. Because presumably the forwards weren't in any sort of shape whatsoever. And I don't mean physical shape, I mean as in like, Team structure. And they're not doing any of that. They're just going around the corner and hitting every rock that they can put. In fact, if anything, you know when you think about work rate nowadays, it's achievable work. Achievable work rate. Hit every other rock, or hit hit rocks in this area, and then maybe someone like a uh, Dane Coles will hit it out wide. You know, there's there's a certain pattern of where you work. It looked to me as if the French forwards and the New Zealand forwards, for matter, were just hitting. They were working as hard as they could. There was no. Rhyme yeah. or reason to what they were hitting, they were just hitting everything.
3: Well, it, it was, there there definitely occasions where there's rooks, the ball is already out of the rook, and there are still players hitting, there's still forwards <laughs> hitting the rook <laughs> because it is the nearest thing, it's like the nearest objective for, the, for them to achieve.
2: Yeah, I, so there was, there was that. And then there's the weird thing about, um, I mean, I'm not even sure how you get a turnover back in the day. Because you're not allowed to interfere with the ruck. Until George Smith was born, no one was allowed to touch any balls in the ruck. Am I right? No, no, they, they were, but the referee would just blow up
3: so, so quickly for, for the defender's hands-on. But not, he let the um, attackers just fly in from every single angle off the feet. From yeah. All over the place, no binding. So it, just a bit weird, just very differently refereed.
2: Outside of Olivier Manier, I'm not entirely sure the French forwards could carry a ball. Mania was good.
3: Mania was, Manu was so excellent. Good. And for the um, uh, Bernard sals try towards the end... Um, when he he showed, oh, he kicked um, through, didn't he? Yeah, Yeah. when he hacks through,
1: and he's off. Mania is rapid. Yeah, he is. He's rapid. Uh, so uh, Piers Dixon got in touch um, and, and said, what an absolute pleasure it was watching that game. And he's highlighted some things you don't see anymore. We've already touched on one of them, quick scrums, uh, yeah. uh, with, with hardly any resets. Uh, yeah. Secondly, uh, and this is the one I thought I'd mention, oh, actually he says Scottish referees. Uh, you, I'm just, and he's right, I can't, I can't think of another Scottish ref.
2: Someone told me a few months ago that the Celtic Nations had stopped training refs effectively. Like very few were coming through. Don't know if, I, I, I don't know where I got that from or if, or if that's true, but you are right. I don't know of any Scottish refs.
1: Yeah. And, and someone else mentioned, I'll try and give them credit, but um, it, was, it was weirdly... Someone said this and I thought it was bang on. Um, it was weirdly nice. Oh yeah, here we go. James Sale again. Uh, we, he weirdly enjoyed not hearing the ref and him being a bit of an enigma. There there was no ref mic at this point, and what it is a brilliant insight we get. But is there an argument that by hearing the ref and hearing the decisions, that almost invites the disagreeing with the call, rather than what it was back in '99, which is right or wrong? Refs made the decision. Next play.
2: But uh, do you know the problem with the ref? That actually, if I remember this correctly, isn't there a decision right at the start which looks like a French try but is disallowed? Uh, I can't remember. Right at the start? Something happens, or was it a New Zealand? Oh trend?
1: yes, no, they touch it. They touch it down. There's a kick through, and New Zealand touch it down. Uh, but it looks like he might have. The, the commentators were saying, "Did he knock it on? Did he knock it over the line? So it should have been a five-meter scrum." That's
2: right. And uh, now I'm trying to remember. Okay. Did the ref nail that, or did he get a, did it get Did he get it horribly wrong?
1: I don't know, but one of, the don't said, one of the commentators said, oh, you know, this, this, this might be another time where we, we start talking about needing a video referee.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure it looks like, right at the start, it looks like, oh, what the hell, what was the decision?
1: I think it was Cullen touched it down. And, and, yeah. and it, was a, it was a 22 dropout, and it maybe should have been a five metre scrum to France. Did Cullen play? Yeah, yeah, he played 13. Well, he played 13. So yes, really, of course he did, so he, yes. so New Zealand, New Zealand usually had Umanga at 13, Wilson at 14, Colin at 15, but they rejigged it for this game and put well, Umanga, no. Umanga on the wing, Wilson at 15 and Colin at 13.
2: No, 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 no. Umanga used to always play on the wing. Only slightly later on in his career did he move to 13. So I don't really? think he'd... Moved, yeah, I don't think he'd made the move to 13 yet.
1: Well, Wilson was class anyway.
2: Wilson, uh, Wilson looked like a guy who could play today.
1: Yeah, that's a fair shout. One hundred, Like the
2: explosivity he has, the way he moves his body. Yeah, I didn't realise he was that good actually. Because I always got caught up with his hair. His hair didn't, (laughs) like, his hair never looked like it belonged on someone who was really good at sport.
1: Yeah, you have to be really good to keep Christian Cullen out of a 15 jersey.
2: Yeah. Pretty good. Or make him move positions.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, kind of, yeah, so that's was, was, what I was going to say. Like, if I was picking that team, with the benefit of hindsight and how all these guys' careers worked out, I'd put Umaga at 13, Wilson on the wing, and Color at fullback. What am I missing? Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm mental.
1: No, exactly. Well, that's what yeah, I assumed that, was the norm. Because but, but, uh, I was like, why have they done it like that? But, yeah. Yeah,
3: I, I assumed, same as Jay, that uh, this was earlier on in Tana Umaga's career. And he was, he was actually playing wing at that point in time.
1: Yeah. So that, you- that might be wrong. Do you know who the New Zealand 12 was? Uh, Jeremiah. Don't know him. I
2: literally I like, don't know. No. Him.
1: No, I'd never really heard of him.
2: Phil? No. Me neither. Oh, good. Good. I'm not I'm good. I I'm, I'm not alone then.
1: But but on the on the referee front, uh, he was wearing a Mizuno jersey. That's something you don't see anymore as well. Yeah. It was a horrible kit. Horrible ref kit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was in um oh god, it's been a long time since, since I've been to Six Nations. Do you know when you know someone's faking?
3: Uh, go on. Yeah,
1: right. go on. Qualify this statement. I don't know what <laughs> So, I went to
2: the Six Nations oh, with my dear friend Brim Williams a long, long time ago now. Good friend of the pod, standing
1: presenter. Brim standing
2: presenter, Brim Williams, right? And to get a pint, what we do, in fact, to get several pints, and a whole afternoon's worth of pints, actually, what we do is we go to the Cardiff Blues Ground which is next door to the Millennium Stadium and go drinking there. And the Welsh rugby fan, for the most part, is, well, they're, you know, they're quite passionate. They all wear, the, wear, 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 the Welsh, wear their Welsh jerseys. I was coming down the stairs in, in, uh, in, Cardiff, in the Cardiff Blues um, bar, and on the stairs passing me was a guy, get this for a get-up. He was wearing a referee's top from Super League. What? Yeah, a Super League referees top. That's the guy who said, yeah, do you want to come, to come to rugby? Oh, I don't really know much about rugby. He's asked his mate from Wigan if he has any spare rugby tops and he's been given a rugby league, uh, a rug, yeah, a Ref- Super League refs <laughs> top to go and watch uh, <laughs> Wales-France. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice.
1: Oh, dear
2: mm-hmm. me. Like,
1: first, uh, let me point out something else that you saw in this game that you don't see anymore. But this, this would have been a staple of all of us growing up at whatever level of rugby. A 10 12 switch off first phase.
2: Thank you. Uh, I wanted to mention
1: that. Yeah, I, that has no place in, in any professional game. <laughs> Do you think so, that this- so you played in the back line. Well, you played in the back line in, in your early days as well, Jay. Did you, Indeed. Did, did you have very simple moves? I remember like Colts rugby, it was knife, fork, spoon. Knife was a pop, the switch with the 12, 10 12 switch. Fork yeah. was dummy switch pop to thirteen, and then oh, spoon DSP. was dummy sit dummy switch dummy switch. Give it to fifteen coming into the line.
2: Switchy.
3: Yeah, the
1: only three moves that they had off any set piece. What was oh, your rangy? Rang- 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 oh, every team had a rangy. Yeah, you're right. Rang- and uh, Rang- uh far east.
3: Rangy Rang- very, very 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 rarely worked. In fact, yeah. I mean, well, never it would be
1: called Sexton now.
2: Yeah, what would the what was a, a DSP called by? your Spanish center friend film. It's ridiculous. Lost it. It's like someone put it into Google Translate and it came out wrong. Oh, I can't remember. Slicey. (laughs) Slicey miss or something. Yeah.
3: (laughs) I can't even remember. Good old Carlos.
2: Yeah, Slicey miss.
1: But in 1999, a, a, a switch off from 10 to 12 off of a scrum was standard.
2: Well, it just doesn't it just show you though, like how things have evolved and how they've kind of thought things through. The idea of burning your ten, as in using him up in a move like that, and your twelve. Imagine, imagine your Gloucester, for instance, right? Just wasting Danny Cipriani, giving Mark Atkinson a switch. No, no, no. You move, you move your best playmaker as far away from that action as you possibly can, and then you get your twelve to be the playmaker. Yeah, and then you play immediately off, off off next phase, like, and that's kind of it. Sort of links in, doesn't it, to how they were working? Like everyone works in their own way as hard as they can. Um, there's no real structure, so therefore there's no structure. You don't need a launch play. Yeah, just go for it, boys. Off on you the, go. On,
1: on the flip side, the one thing that was amazing about this game, and you don't see as much anymore that the um Piers Dixon again pointed this one out which I totally agree with the way he put it the lost art of drawing just simply drawing the defender and giving a pass
0: um,
2: I don't know maybe maybe I think there's some romance in that I can't can you remember the last time yeah I can actually I'm talking nonsense I was going to say do you remember the last time that a two or more has been clearly butchered yes I do yes I do but yeah, I, I'm going to give the modern players it, a little more credit in. It. The,
1: in the modern game, there is a is a kind of, um, and I understand it, there's almost like a risk management uh, element to everything. And actually, they've sort of crunched the numbers with some auditor and actually just just keep hold of the ball and don't pass it. Take contact. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah there, there's a few things in there. There are some, definitely some areas of, of of this game which are so far inferior to the modern game, It's it, it's hard to watch. But you can't get over the fact that it's a far more romantic game and a far more enjoyable game.
3: <laughs> now, on, on that side of things, the, the difference um, from this game to today, did either of you watch the World Rugby 1991 England versus France that was shown on Saturday afternoon?
1: No,
2: I wanted to, though.
1: Yeah, I did. From, I, from that, the that, Rugby that, World Cup. I remember that game so vividly. <clears throat>
3: So I don't remember that game at all at, at the time. It's it was it was too um too early for me, um, but I mean it was an unbelievable game to watch for lots of reasons. Again, some positive and some negative, but the the passion and the brutality in that game were almost un unparalleled. Yeah, to, to what you see now, like French players crying um, during the anthems, and. Everyone, like both teams, so many players, nearly losing their cool so many times,
1: and the noise of the crowd reflected it as well. Yeah, the atmosphere the the was, incredible. was
3: incredible. Yeah, that was, that was part of the prance wasn't it? Yeah. So it was. It was the 99 World Cup, which was technically in hosted by Wales for the Millennium Stadium, but it was played across all, all the different countries. So um, England's knockout games. One was played at. Um, part de France one was played at Murrayfield and one was played at, at Twickenham um,
2: were they were they the away team in the Twickenham game um, I don't know because they have been the away team in Twickenham no they haven't i tell you what it was I think Wales were the away team in the Millennium Stadium against England ah, ah. maybe no because no that can't be it because they beat them oh
3: maybe maybe they did maybe
2: oh, I don't know Wales were definitely the away team in, in the in the millennium,
3: but uh, in, that, in in that yeah. game in that game, so past the past the passion and the um, and the brutality, there was almost no rugby played in it whatsoever, which was felt <laughs> like a, a deliberate <laughs> game plan from England. England England had um, a scrum on the twenty-two. They actually had multiple scrums and lineouts on the twenty-two, which were perfect attacking ball, and all they did was passed the ball to Rob Andrew, who put the ball up as high as possible so it landed just out on the five metre line of the so deep inside the French twenty two. Rather yeah. than rather than a passing move, just boot it in the air and, and have a fifteen man chase.
1: So, so that was it. They did De Glanville and um it's Carlin and it was Carlin and oh Guscott, no, was wasn't it? I'm thinking of um, other games I've been I've been I've been looking ahead to other games we could potentially watch. I'm getting all confused. Yeah Carlin Guscott, <laughs> that's right
2: so yeah. that, so that, that strategy is very simple in terms of its conception and in terms of the execution for Rob Andrew where it's phenomenally difficult and I've experienced this myself um, is actually keeping everyone on board with it because you can kick the ball three or four times maybe ten minutes goes by the three that you're worried about has been nullified because it's a great leveler and then you relax and you start to play and you get beaten up because you realise you were only kicking the ball because you didn't think you were as good as them and you were absolutely right and as soon as you stop you then start to get a good beating as Argentina found out right at the end of the <laughs> 2003 World Cup no 2007 2007, 2007. yeah it's the, the, a lot the of the atmosphere. atmosphere on that
1: the atmosphere in that 91 game, and in our game that we've, we're talking about, the, the 99 game, the atmosphere of just the crowd and everything was incredible. And it, again, it did make me think, are we, are we sacrificing the entertainment of, of our game a little bit? And how could we, uh, you know, because I can't remember the last time I was in a stadium that was, that was making that kind of noise that you could feel was coming off the screen, even on a grainy mm-hmm. YouTube video.
2: Yeah, they they did. I don't know. Do, do you think? Do you think it's the way it's filmed? 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 As well, Tim. Do you think there's better audio from? Because at the moment we, we we are watching games, and you mentioned before that the ref is mic'd up, and we're trying to get all this information, and the broadcast quality is much better now. But you also get a lot more things. Back in the day, maybe the only thing they could put, they could pipe onto your TV was was the crowd noise.
1: It could also be that what we're picking yeah. are some of the most important and best games of all time. Comparing it to an average game that we see at the moment, yeah. Because
3: Tim, Tim, you'll remember me and you being at the Millennium Stadium. Oh uh, wow, about that, five that years was, ago, that
1: was something else. The, the, the goal, the the fifteen minute Wales goal line stand against Ireland.
3: Yeah, in the Six Nations, that, and that the atmosphere in there was. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Probably yeah. the best atmosphere I've ever seen in a sport yeah. event live. Same. And that that was just that wasn't one of these unbelievable,
2: um, yeah.
3: flowing yeah that's That fair. was
2: that's fair. The Millennium Stadium is an unbelievable venue. To yeah, be fair, best yeah. best yeah. venue
1: to watch sport at. Yeah, it's um, superb,
2: isn't it? I, yeah, I wonder if it's something like brought that the broadcaster used used to do, which they don't do anymore, because they're more interested in the nuance of the game, what the ref is saying, and whatnot.
1: Possibly. Yeah, it, do
2: you think that the, I don't know, the passion? Yeah, I'd say the passion of rugby has been replaced by by a seriousness now. So, whereas before you could lose and it's all very passionate and you'd be very upset and devastated and all, all all the rest of it, that'd be one thing. But now it feels like the stakes are higher, but they're more. There's more of like a professional pressure. Like if you lose, it, it is serious. Heads will heads will roll. No one's going to scream and shout. But it is much, much more serious. I I don't know because there's also
3: now the the different dynamic, which is you can lose, but you're still going to take home your twenty six grand a game or your uh, five hundred thousand pound a year salary. Maybe mm. maybe less, maybe less twenty five percent this year. Right. But I, I don't know. Certainly to nineteen ninety one and even nineteen ninety nine, because it, it was only just outside. Professionalism in 99. It well, money wasn't
2: what it is now. Well, have you boys seen the F1 docs on Netflix?
1: No, I've got that. I, I, that's next.
2: Oh my God, oh. they're so good. First of all, yeah. they are so good. But what they really do is they convey. I mean, like F1 is a really good example of what professional seriousness is all about. So, you know, they're not passionate about their cars winning, they want them to win, but they know if they get it wrong, that is their job. So it's a lot more like it's a, there's a lot more pressure and tension involved because they could get fired, and there's a lot of money involved. Whereas if they were just a bunch of amateurs, they'd be very passionate about doing it, and you know if they lose, that's you know that's dreadful, dreadful for that day. But it's not the same impact. And actually, Phil, in the fact, there is so much money in it, kind of emphasises that point. It's it's well, a
3: serious business. So so a key distinction there, and I don't know if this is the distinction, but a key distinction. That you just hinted at was, if they don't perform, they lose their job. Yeah, which which is so in rugby. Now, if you continually play terribly, you're not going to get another contract. No, and there's not there's not that immediate like
2: precipice.
3: That
2: have you're you told uh, have, just out of interest? Have you mentioned that to Luther Burrell? What <laughs> <laughs>
1: play Nick? Play is it,
2: yeah, Nick as if Tomon Harrison. And Harrison, you mentioned it to them. <laughs> yeah,
3: but they, they could st- they would still go back on their three hundred thousand pound a year um, Northampton contract.
2: Yeah, yeah, fair, fair.
3: They they just don't get the twenty extra twenty six grand or
2: twenty five <laughs> grand bonus. Yeah, yeah, the extra two hundred thousand pound a year from uh, from <clears throat> England.
1: And I think thinking about the romance of this the what it means to the players is is no less when it comes to World Cups Interna- we're pulling on the international jersey there's still there's tears rolling down the cheeks you, you, no England player will be thinking about the 25 grand when they're running out yeah. into the toilet. well World.
2: Nick Easter did
1: <laughs> Ben Teo Ten- did <laughs> yeah, yeah Ben Teo definitely did well,
2: what did Nick Easter say well, uh, there's 10 grand da- 10 grand down the toilet Lo- <laughs> I love that I love that so much
1: <laughs> But back to this game. One thing we we sort of you can get romantic and think, oh, the the values were so much better, and and in some respects they were. There was no chops in at the ref, none. People just there was penalty, they just walked back ten meters, and I did quite like watching <clears> that. <throat> Equally, yeah. the the French were amazing. The amount that they were booing Andrew Mertens every time he went to take a penalty kick. <laughs> yeah.
3: You got to, yeah, exactly. French G- French culture.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh. We'd be missing something if the French didn't boo.
3: Oh my god. I'm, so I'm, I've got it on in the background now. And there's just been. Uh, so New Zealand make a break, go down in the French 22. And one French player is trying to get the ball. And four New Zealand players all dive in, no arms, straight off the feet to clear him out. Penalty New Zealand. It's Obviously, un- it is. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's an absolute it's wild west, isn't it? I love a bit it's of ruck total. justice. It's total Wild West, the rooks. It
1: absolutely. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> uh, so one of the stats came up, and I'll see if you can guess the the uh, they had very few graphics back in the day, so they played the same graphics several times through the match. Yeah. Um, the average pack weight in this match. What do you what, did, what do you what would you guess it was?
2: I think but it is one. Go. You you go, Jay. Because I think I saw it. One hundred and three kilograms.
3: But I think, it, I think I saw it. I think it was slightly over that, maybe 105
1: and 106. They did it in stone, but it was... Oh. Uh, it was 16 six, and a half. 16 and a half stone. So both yeah, playing.
2: I remember watching it thinking, I'm big enough to play in social rugby. Thank God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that much smaller. It's tiny. No, it's not that much smaller... Like what would the what I reckon the average the average Eight. the average weight of a the average weight of an international forward nows the average weight if you average the whole pack is probably 17 and a half stone. Oh. Uh, you uh, uh, you'd have props that are eighteen or nineteen, but you'd have back rows that are sixteen.
3: Well, that's not. that's good not max. many. There's not many
1: back rows that are sixteen. These no, days. you're right. Actually, you're right. Actually, Maybe, I'm sure, like, like, Who is Who like, was a
2: sixteen you, stone back row? I mean, Sam Underhill. Yeah maybe tom curry no he's massive mate
1: I know no, but he's, he's so lean that he probably isn't much more i don't think he's much he won't be over 17 stone
2: well salmon hills 106 so he is over he's over 16
3: okay
1: all what, right fine what is 106 uh,
2: 1610 is 106 so yeah he's pushing
3: 17
1: but but, uh, but these these bunch of boys in this 99 game would not look as good in in match fit tight jerseys no
3: chance Bloody
2: hell, Tom Carey's
3: 99 kilograms, according to this. No, he's not. No way. That might be his eight, weight at 18.
1: When he was 12. He's a freak now. He's unbelievably
3: massive. Yeah, there's no way he's 99 kilograms. This is broken. This phone's broken.
1: Did you notice that there was... Um, <laughs> did you notice that there were yellow cards given in this, but they didn't go
2: on? Yeah. Uh, and all they say, that's a caution. He's
1: got a caution for that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did wonder what the old situation was with, with yellow cards. It, it, is... was, it,
1: it was for like a swinging arm high tackle as well. There you go, caution. Straight red. No simbin. <laughs> like so many things would be. I mean, if if they if a referee from now in um, pl- uh, enforced the current rules in this game in '99, there would have been about seven players on each team left.
3: Oh, and even worse if they'd done it in the 1991 England France game. Oh yeah. In in the first minute um the Heslop i think it was the England winger hits um the fullback i can't remember his name for, for some reason um the french fullback
1: castanyed um
3: no and who was it from 1991 the absolute class one of oh, the no, oh, oh,
1: uh, oh blanco blanco serge blanco
3: no uh, um Serge Blanco. Blanco, yeah. Serge Blanco, yeah. He hits him late after Blanco's marked the ball.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Knocks Blanco, himself out almost.
3: Well, he, he hits his head, but then <laughs> yeah. he, gets, he gets two punches in the head yeah. straight afterwards. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> laying prone. So one from the second yeah. row, one from the fullback. Yeah. He's, he lays prone on the ground for three minutes. The ref has a stern talking to the French players. Yeah. No cards, no yeah. nothing. Brilliant. It's an England penalty. And the winger just gets up and plays on. Like, yeah. Yeah,
1: no HIA. He's, he's, like,
3: yeah, it's there's, for so many reasons. It's so, <laughs> so different to how it is now.
1: It was amazing. But what I do like is the fact that the commentators were... And, and it happened in the 99 game. This game we're talking about France-New Zealand. The, the, there's so many things that happen where the commentators are like, oh, well, you know, that's just, that's just rugby right there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. nothing, nothing to see here. They, they, yeah, there's one point, Ibanez gets... Um, it might have been, it might have been, uh, it might have been what uh, Ibanez might have been the one that got a yellow card. I can't remember anyway. Um, but basically, the commentator just says it in the way that you'd say, um, Oh, I'm just nipping down. I'm just nipping to the kitchen to make a cup of tea. The commentator says, Oh, Ibanez just, uh, just dives in, just dives in, leading with his head into the head of the opponent. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's normal. So, Tim, just yeah, quick yeah. one for you. The average weight of the French pack last year was 120 kilograms. Oh
1: my word! Okay, I will take it all back. Which is
2: which is 19 stone. Best part of it. <laughs> That's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> Jesus. Uh,
2: the average weight of uh, the packs at the moment is about 112.
1: Okay, so like 17, about 17 and a half.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's a stone. So I'm saying in 21 years, yeah, it's like a stone, a stone of muscle mass is.
2: I wonder what they're going to look like in 21 years' t- time from now. Wow.
1: <laughs> Frightening thought.
2: 120 kilograms. Oh, my word. A man. Anyway. Um, sorry, voice. I interrupted you. What were we saying?
1: Oh, I, 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 I tell you, I, I'll move it on. Uh, did we see, like, you, you've said some of his defensive frailties were there, but what I loved is that on the same field, we had Jonah Lomu and Christophe Dominici.
2: Yeah. Yes. Dominici was electric in this Dominici game. Dominici is one of my favourite all-time players.
1: I mean, Maybe. if you were, if you were New Zealand, would you not have just, like, gone, Lomu, yeah, we'll put number 11 on your back, but just change wing straight after?
3: Well, it didn't... It actually didn't matter because the wing that he was... That Lomu was against didn't want to tackle him either. No. So, but they, they just couldn't... Al. They couldn't get him into the game um, as much as they wanted to. They couldn't get him or Cullen or Wilson into the game at all uh, and when, when they did the two opportunities that he, he had he just ran through round past the, the French team and scored two very very good tries um, but they couldn't get the ball to him more than that for whatever reason
1: mm. now, the French comeback so New Zealand were 24-10 up 10. early in the yeah. second half Yes. So any New Zealand side in a World Cup semi-final 24-10, game over. Oh France, yeah. France scored 26, no, 33 uh, unanswered 33, points. 33
3: points. But they
1: scored, but they scored 26 points <clears throat> in 10 minutes.
3: It was incredible.
1: Which all kicked off with something else you don't see much anymore. Two drop goals.
3: Yeah. When in you're, quick succession. When you're down like that as well. It's a... It's a very bold tactic, and I really, really, really like it. Just get the points however you can, restart and play on, rather than try and force the try. It, and it worked perfectly.
2: Really, really good.
1: And, and then will... that Dominici try, and yeah, it was just it was an insane game. Have I made yeah. this up?
2: But there was a time, wasn't there, when Johnny Wilkinson? I don't mean the World Cup World Cup final. Before anyone says anything. But he was regularly dropping goals, just to make sure they got points as soon as they got into the 22, basically, to make sure they always had scoreboard pressure. Yeah, yeah. Or have I actually made that up? And in
3: '99, it was quite a common thing because who was the South African flyer? Johnny de
2: Beer. De Beer. Yeah. Oh no, used st- was it? No, no. You're think... the other one was. Um, he does Sky Sports now.
1: Scrum half. <laughs> Tina Stelport is a winger.
2: No, no. Um... Delport played wing 15,
3: didn't he? So he no,
1: was no. a South African scrum half? The no, fly no, half. Fly half. Oh, fly right. Half. Oh, I see. He played, okay. he
2: played the World Cup final and won it.
1: Oh. Um. Just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was the No, no, no. He was the one that got the five drop goals against England. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly who I'm thinking
2: of. Oh, is it? And so you're not thinking of the guy who got the drop goal in the World Cup final, maybe? Or you got, you got a few... No, I'm thinking
3: 99. Ah, uh, yeah. That... It was Yeni De Beer. I'm just looking up. So you got six in the tournament, of, of which... Is that right? The five of them were against England in
2: 99. Yeah, so a legend... The... So do you know where that idea came from? Because Yeni De Beer apparently wasn't particularly good at dropping, at dropping goals but that day he decided to. The reason they did that is because they were worried about the Rugby League defence. Phil Lauder was the defence coach at the time, so they weren't sure how to defeat it on the ground, so they thought every time we get the ball, we're going to go for a drop ball. That's how it came about. It was a reaction to England's defence because they were so afraid of it.
3: And if you can guarantee or if you've got a 90% chance of getting three points every time you get to the 22, but if you go for a try, you've got a 20% 20% uh, um, chance of getting seven points take the three
2: yeah <laughs> well i mean well, if it's well, that easy you just take the three three all the time
1: france Always. when they got to france when they got to 12 points up didn't take the three and uh, um, kick for yeah, the corner they, kick for yeah the corner. they did didn't they absolutely a, bonkers call i mean it paid off in the end but
3: yeah that was a bonkers call that was mental but brilliant if it works, it
1: works. That, that 10 minutes was absolutely insane, that, that little comeback. Um, and just an unbelievable attack. And I mean, there was a couple of times where the commentators, I think even at the start, they sort of said, and it's almost like a phrase we've said all the time, or the French, the French backline, if they click, they could be electric, but they're, they're struggling to work out what the best combination is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Especially France forever. <laughs> yeah, fast forward 20-something years. No, they could be a lad <laughs> trick, but if they just need to sort of get the right combination, yes, I think you know. <laughs> and also, Le Maison was, was actually the backup. He he wasn't yeah. due to
1: play. That's the game of, a game of his life. What yeah. a game, eh? Oh, yeah. uh, the, the the kickoffs were done at the, at the start of each half were kicked off as a place kick. And yes. so, because they couldn't remove the kicking tee, which had now, by this point, moved to the... the basically, the kickers used the cones that you use to mark out the pitch for training yes do you remember, do you remember that period where there was none of these new kicking tees that we people started using yeah. plastic cones so a mound of sand this was, was a relic of what used to be done before and so the, the the halves were kicked off with the ball on a mound of sand well i used
3: to love seeing a mound of sand
1: yeah
2: so before that no so after that became like the basically like a traffic cones which yeah, yeah, it, that's
1: that's the ones that's the ones I'm talking. Oh, that's the ones I'm talking about. The ones that um you use at training now to mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh no, no
2: there's, there there's one in between. So yeah. was Steve, Stephen Lawton used to use them, and yeah, they were basically they, like five inches off the ground. They were massive. yeah, they, they got banned, didn't they? Yeah, because oh, people right. were using people
3: had these special kickoff tees that were. I think they were more than five inches off the ground. They were like they were huge. They were like, like a foot the, and a, a foot and a half off the ground. Rugby's so equivalent of a pitching wedge. Yeah, yeah. So you could boot it as high as you possibly could into the air. And yeah, then, then they then they got banned, and then I think they just went for the drop kick every time. Before, no, I know did, that. The... Did,
1: you, did you ever play rugby at any point before they introduced the mounds of sand at the professional level, when the fly halves or fullback or it was kicking would just dig up a grass divot in the ground and then <laughs> shove the ball on top? I, I remember being playing... a kid.
2: Yeah, being a kid when that was done. Yeah, I, I I played a game of rugby against one other guy, right? And we played this game for like forty minutes after um, a game session in school. And basically, it was me versus Jonathan Belford. And um, if you scored the try, you got the kick, and then you've got to get the ball again and then try and score a try. And anyway, this 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 this, this kid must have scored about forty tries against me, and I had and I got to attempt at least forty kicks. I remember this. I had one kick which I had to make the little divot out of. So, yeah, I remember that well, actually.
1: I wish I'd had some <laughs> Hovis music to play over that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: Jay, you mentioned defence coaches before. Yeah. and that, So, one of the things that I noticed in this game, particularly with New Zealand, actually, was just how poor their defensive line was. Like, yeah. at, at all times, the defensive line, the back line from line outs, from scrums, it was like there was no no strategy no cohesiveness they didn't all know what to do they'd all generally run in the direction of the ball um at various different speeds at various different times from de- various different starting points <laughs> yeah. it was crazy various different calls yeah yeah it was, it was so weird so that's, some of the stuff in this game looked like modern day some of the stuff, the defensive patterns,
2: was miles away. Yeah, the, um, I wonder if it kind of shows the opportunity cost and also the lack of resources for a coach. There's a great interview, and I should give the, the podcast that did it credit. I can't remember who it is, and I apologise to those podcasters. But they, they, they interviewed Stuart Lancaster, and one of the questions I asked him was, um, as a coach, is it important for you to know uh, you know if he used to do everything because stuart Lang has been defense coach attack coach he's done a lot or do you want to be more of a gen- generalist and stuart said yeah I, a bit more of a generalist but there is an advantage of having just a defensive coach because if you win the game and everyone's happy but the defense didn't do too well you might let yourself off but if you're a defense coach. All you're focused on is the defence, and that error, yeah. and those errors won't be papered over. And I wonder if what you were seeing in that New Zealand game was the effect of only having limited coaching, coaching resources, just making sure that, they, you know, let's just do lineouts and, and attack because that's what we're good at. And, and if you're winning games, which New Zealand more often than not are doing, you don't yeah. have to worry about it.
3: Yeah. And I
1: think what you what? pointed out, Phil, it had only been professionalism had only been there for three years by this point. So. Yeah. Uh, the game hadn't hadn't moved too far from that. It, I mean, it was still, a, you know, it moved a long way in some respects. But um, but but in terms of this, this is where this, this is the, the effect of the, the, sorry the development through the next four years up to the two thousand and three World Cup was that the, the defence was chalk and cheese between yeah. the ninety nine World Cup and the o three World Cup.
3: And I think if if you watched the two thousand and three World Cup after watching this. I think the the shift the progression from 1999 to 2003 would be greater than any the progression between any other two world cups because the professionalism really hit home in between those those two world cups which was led by England and and uh,
1: Clive, Woodward, Clive, yeah.
3: Clive Woodward. yeah
1: well, there's that story that Clive Woodwood uh, got in sort of about 2001 i think it was uh, it got in a changing room after a training one day said to Josh Lucy, who was just about to get in the shower or something, right, Josh, stop. Everyone, stop what you're doing. Got a chair, got Josh Lucy to stand on a chair, like, with just his pants on or something. That is a professional athlete.
3: I <laughs> wonder what uh, Jason Leonard's reaction to that was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 I mean, it just puts in perspective what Jason Leonard managed to do from being in, 19, in that 91 World Cup that you mentioned he was there in that and then right through to the 03 world cup yeah amateur to professional
3: yeah and in world cup peak, finals yeah the absolute peak of professionalism yeah, yeah that is impressive
2: uh, right i think we've done this game though.
1: yeah i'll um, i'll just i just read a few little comments uh, that we've Please had do. in um so Damien Stewart said he was at that match that day, he remembers it well. He remembers the lovely French lady on the train back into London who still has his scarf.
3: Um, the
1: game reminds him of, of what a legend Lomu is. Or what was, well, he, he, is, a, he is a legend. Uh, yep. Walter Ludwig III, our esteemed friend that I mentioned earlier, uh, he said he watched it with his seven year old son, whose three queries after watching were why can't you laugh at the hacker? Which I thought JB would like. Yep, I do. <laughs> Uh, why aren't they pe- why aren't they penalising high tackles? Yep, <laughs> and it bl- and it blew his mind that he was watching Roman and Tamak's dad play.
3: Uh, yeah. Who yeah. was who was actually very quiet in the game?
1: He was uh, Fabian Gautier, a hard, hard man. He smashed yeah. Lomu a couple of times. He was one of the play the few players actually was like going, "Yeah, I'll have this. I'll take him."
3: Yeah, um, and Gautier was another one who was. He was there in two thousand and one, and he was still playing in uh, two. Sorry, he was there in nineteen ninety one, and was still playing in two thousand and three, because I think That's he won World point. Rugby Player of the Year in about two thousand and one or two thousand and two.
1: Yeah. Uh, lots of people mentioned Christian Cullen, who uh, there was a, a vote on some website or some blog or something, something this week, and uh, Christian Cullen was voted the best fullback of all time.
0: Oh,
3: okay. he's. He's right up there for me. He, he never had the long, longevity of. Um, yeah, that's kind of
2: what I was going to say. He was, he was a fleeting brilliance. Yeah. He wasn't great at Munster.
3: Yeah, he had maybe five, six years of being unbelievable.
1: You don't see him kind of in the same way that Neil Armstrong and Boz Aldrin don't give any, uh, don't really give any interviews any time. And they did some amazing things by, you know, I mean, it might, it might Trump. Playing a few rugby games that they walked on the surface of the moon, but
2: I don't know, they never play,
1: play, played in a World Cup, did they? But I've, I can't remember ever seeing an interview with Christian Cullen post playing career. No,
2: I don't think I've ever heard him speak. I wonder what he does. I'm basically like a sheep farmer or pilot.
3: No, um, I don't know, I wonder if he does some stuff just purely in New Zealand, but I, I can't remember seeing him speak at all.
1: Mm. No. Uh, and uh, Tim Grant just said, Thank you for doing this, boys. I normally watch the Sunday premiership game whilst cooking the family meal. Uh, was feeling a bit lost. This was spot on. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what would you get for some of the high tackles that you see in that game? Oh my of, god, a lot of red cards. <laughs> that is, yeah, a, a prison
2: sentence, probably. <laughs> uh,
1: and, and this one from Darren Thompson, um, said. Great to to see some proper ruck justice. I agree with that. He also said Lomu's first half try was better than the try he is so famously remembered for. The game he scored against, the try he scored against England where he ran over Mike Catt. Um, Probably yes.
3: Yeah. Just because of the sheer number of bodies around him. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So uh, just look at this. Apparently uh, Christian Cullen went back to New Zealand to start a business. Of which I do not know what the business is. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Good info.
1: I think we've done done a pretty comprehensive job on that. I I, I really enjoyed uh, watching that game. If if there's any more comments and stuff to to filter in, then uh, I'll just remind you of that email again. uh, ContactDegChasers at gmail.com. And I guess the only thing we've got left to do today is to pick the game for next week.
2: I think Northampton-Leinster, European Cup final. In 2011, one of my favorite games.
1: If you can find um, a, a full,
2: it is. It's there. I've is already the fu-
1: checked Is the full game there? Okay,
2: full I'll, game.
1: I'll throw Weird. in some. I'll, I'll throw in a contender. Have you got what, one to think of? We can settle on, a, on an answer. Have you got an, one you, you fancy, Phil?
3: I would quite like to watch Wales versus Fiji from 2007 World Cup. No, I'm not keen on that. <laughs>
1: That was a funk. That was a hell of a game. Yeah. Go uh, on, what's but, yours, Tim? What's, um what's... Well, I I've I have i have right. So I'm just gonna put a bunch of ones on the I'll I'll go with one of your picks for today, but I'm just gonna pin some to the notice board for future reference. We've we've had cool. Sam Wiltshire suggesting um oh no no sorry, Flood hit on Twitter suggesting Tigers v Stad France Heineken Cup final 2001. okay, um, yeah. Bill McLaren on comms. Uh, Austin Healy and Andy Good pre-weave. Um, nice. Um, <laughs> uh, England twenty-six all v New Zealand at Old Trafford. The, uh, when when is... Richard Cockrell squared up to Norm Hewitt during the hacker. Right. Um, what What other ones have I got? Um, oh. oh, boys, go on.
2: I've completely forgotten. <laughs> I can't believe I've forgotten this. I've literally got a cup here. Um, and what I've done is I've put all of the um, I put a load of dates into the cup, and I've just basically said, "Why don't we just pick one out and do a, do a premier a, a Premiership final?" Can do.
1: I want I want to pick a great game that we know we're going to love watching.
3: Okay, I, either or. I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy going for the Leicester Northampton. Um, Heineken Cup for this week because that is a that's a hell of a game. That was
1: well, that comeback, wasn't it? Oh
3: yeah, let's do that. I'm just, I,
1: I, I, let me just chuck some other games just for, for future reference, and maybe if if there's any of these that jump out and you really want to hear a Matt Rugby podcast on Twitter or whatever. Um, in 2011 Six Nations, Italy 22, France 21. Um, the, the the goal line stand game I thought about, even though it wasn't high scoring or anything, it was just the the Wales Island. Um, Australia Where's v that? New yeah. Zealand in the year 2000 the Sydney game 35-34 yeah that was that's supposed a, to
3: be one of the all time best games
1: we've got to do that at some point in the future because that was yeah. a bonkers game New Zealand went 24 nil up then it was 24 all at half time and then oh yes Sterling, oh, Mortlock, Sterling Mortlock scored the winning try or something was, was he playing on the wing as well
2: Sterling yes and do you know what the weak link was in, the, in, in that one again Lomu? Uh, Lomu Lomu they targeted Lomu up in the air. Interesting. So uh, Sterling Warlock is one wing. I'm sure Joe Roth is on is on the other one.
1: And then the other the other two on my little shortlist was Ireland v New Zealand in Chicago. Yeah. Yes, that's a good
3: game.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a great game.
1: And Japan v South Africa.
3: Yes, Japan v South Africa. Oh. Yes. We've got all,
1: we've got all sorts of eras and all sorts of games, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm happy. I'm happy to go with yeah. So so give us a thought if you've got any other suggestions. At rugby podcast on Twitter, but um, yeah, let's do that because that was a, an unbelievable game of rugby.
3: Yeah, let's do that. Northampton um, Leinster
1: 2000, from, and
3: I think it's 11. I
1: always get
2: it wrong though. Yeah. I think
1: is there definitely a full game link?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is. There definitely is. It's sky, it's a full sky sports coverage. Let's have a look.
1: Thampson, Leinster 2011. There's 2013 14 fall game. Uh,
0: I I know this
2: because I've watched it fairly recently. You got a link to it?
1: I can't see a full game on YouTube, mate.
3: Uh, I can see a full game from. 13, 14. 20,
0: 2012.
3: Yeah. As well. Uh, Walking Cup final th- oh, 2011. There's a 15-minute game.
2: I've got two hours and two here. Have you? Yeah. Def- definitely the right match.
3: Daily Motion.
2: Daily Motion. On, So not on YouTube. Not on YouTube. It's on Daily Motion. Cool. Um, just a bit. Let's make sure this actually works before uh, we ruin our... Uh, Next week's podcast, but yeah, if that's if that's the case, that's it. And I, th- I think we should we we should draw next week. I I I quite like to draw just out like a Premiership final at random. Because,
1: all right, if if me and Phil have a veto power, if it's a real stinker yeah, 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 obviously. But, but also, I did just detail we could we could alternate it international club international club. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm I'm game for that. So let's do club next week with this club. Can,
2: can we not review like one of, one of the worst games of all time? That, that's <laughs> so much more fun. <laughs> yes, would, I,
1: th- I that think... That would be quite fun. Yeah, that would. I think that would be fun, actually. Maybe I'm not, sure... not
2: the worst game, like the most disappointing, like Wales on a Friday night scratching their way to a 12-9 win over Samoa.
1: <laughs> I think there is... There's something to be said for that. I, I, I can see that. But let's... let's, let's... A few weeks of I'm celebrating sorry, yeah. some great games. I'm just I'm just checking this link works. Yeah, it does. I'm watching oh, it now. T- I'm watching another th- I'm watching a thirty 30- thirty two minute ad break which skips in three, two, one, skip.
3: Yeah, I've got I've got it here on the Daily Motion link.
1: It works. It works. Boom. Ignore people who say your history does not matter. Exactly. Nice. Oh, we've moved on a long way in those 12 years the quality of the TV broadcast
2: yes yeah
3: and, and the
1: quality pitch, of the kit. can, can well.
2: say Tim I've, I've fast forwarded a bit on that thing the, pick, the quality of the pitch i reporting garbage <laughs> was then was then not like it is now mate
1: not like it yeah. is now obviously right cool uh, Right, you know where to find us at Rugby podcast on twitter he's at jbeardmore I'm at cocker Phil will let you know if he wants to, you to hear from him he's lurking in the swamp we're contact their at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts on your homework for this week, which is Northampton versus Leinster in the 2011 Heineken Cup final, which is on daily motion, all two hours of the TV broadcast. Very much looking forward to getting stuck into that one. And I will just also flag up BT Sport, whilst they don't have live premiership games, do have lunchtimes every single day this week, some, uh, some retro premiership games.
2: Wonderful stuff.
1: So uh, do check that out as well. And World Rugby have uh, an old school game every Saturday at 2.30 on their Facebook page. Yeah. Right, very I think good. we're done, gents.
2: I think we are. Well, well done all.
1: Right, thank you very much. Hit subscribe and we'll see you on the next one.
0: Stay bye safe. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,